My wife and I like to joke that my superpower is to look into the future. I check the weather. I know when severe weather is possible. And for instance, there was uh, severe weather planned late one night. And that day was a gorgeous day. And everybody's gone about their business like nothing's nothing's even coming. And of course, that day, I, I knew that it was possible. I got home from work. The kids haven't gotten off the bus yet. And so I went downstairs. Oh, it'd be really smart if I grabbed the spare mattress that we have stashed in the corner and just threw it in the middle of the basement and we grab our blanket and a couple of pillows and a flashlight and just toss them over there by the side. Nothing crazy, but, you know, wouldn't it be smart if I had that there? And of course, you know, one in the morning, tornado sirens are going off and, uh, you know, Laura elbows me and says, hey, the sirens are going off. Should, should we get the kids? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I hop up and I have, of course, my shoes, laces undone and open so I can slip my feet in them. I calmly walk over and pick up my daughter and walk her to the basement, walk upstairs, you know, lay her down on the mattress that's there, walk back upstairs and grab my other daughter, pick her up, walk her downstairs, lay her, lay her down. And the kids are sitting there on a mattress with a blanket and pillows to boot and they're able to just go back to sleep the next day Laura is like what even happened there welcome to the story enneagram podcast i'm jim gum and i'm an enneagram trainer and coach living in kansas city Today, we're going to hear from some self-preservation sixes as part of this season's series on the self-preservation subtypes. The self-preservation six is called warmth. They're friendly, trustworthy, and loyal. Their superpower is to see into the future, anticipate needs, and prepare accordingly. The self-preservation six is a lookalike of an Enneagram two. By staying attentive and connected with friends and family, they create a stable environment and community so they don't have to face their fears alone. Have you ever wondered why some people just seem more cautious than others? Today, we're going to listen to stories from self-preservation sixes to understand how their perceptions and intuitions make a tangible difference in the lives of their friends and family. As you heard James share in the opening, self-preservation sixes live out the motto of the Boy Scouts, be prepared. To start, we'll consider what causes this to arise. Listen to how Dean describes his experience. Um, but very quickly under the surface of that was I began to learn about the fears and insecurities that, um, that plague the six. I don't have to think long and hard about how that connects with me. Insecurity is tethered to my personhood. It is my primary experience of life is insecurity. <laughs> my whole life has, I've felt unsure about who I am. Yeah. Some insecurity about my either gifting or my place in my life or in society. I, I am not a kind, the kind of person that finds himself generally struggling with both pride and insecurity. Like, no, it's, it's all insecurity for me. Listen to how Caitlin describes her experience. 
Yeah, that's a really good question because people have asked me, like, even just when I say I struggle with anxiety, they're like, what does that even mean? And, and honestly, that's something I struggled with for a while too. Cause I'm like, it's not like one situation I'm always anxious about. Um, however, like you said, I am a new parent to two littles. And so one, yes, I've had the thoughts of like, man, if, if something were to happen to me, like who's going to be able to take care of them or which obviously my husband is in the picture and that's not going to happen, but, uh, then they would be fine. But then I also feel like I project a lot with them too. Like I always go to the worst case scenario, like, Oh my goodness. Like is my baby breathing? And here's James again. I took an online test, of course, as one does when they first learn about it. And I knew at that point that I did not want to be a six and that being a seven was the place to be because they were fun, loving and outgoing. And I thought, yeah, yeah, me, that's me. I'm, that's that's totally what I want to be. And that uh, sixes were fear-based and that was definitely a negative connotation. And I rejected that for a very long period of time. <laughs> I think one of the most helpful things to me is to realize that in times when there's uncertainty, when I can't look into the future and use my superpower to know the possible outcomes, if that uncertainty is unsettling to me. am tense for sure. I am shorter. I am less warm. I, that's when I get cool or cold. And I am not my typical gregarious, outgoing, friendly self. I am uh, short or distant. And I, uh, I, feel, I feel the heat of the moment and, and pull away from it. That's when like the, the true self-preservation comes in for me. I, I feel that feeling of, uh-oh, we don't know what's going to happen here. You better make sure you're taken care of. The thing I like most about Enneagram subtypes is that it gives a depth to the expression of each type. The Enneagram 6 is where there's the greatest variation. Type 6s are in the head center, and they're more attuned to uncertainty, and they experience fear. The difference between the three subtypes of the 6 is their response to the fear. We learned in biology that a threatened animal exhibits a fight-or-flight response. A third option is to freeze. For the self-preservation six, it's more flight than fight. And the safety is found in relationships. And that's why the subtype is known as warmth. Here's Dean again. I love people. I love people. And I love connecting with people. And my favorite aspect of my job is sitting at coffee with people and listening to their stories. I'm a great listener, Jim. I, 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 love, to, I love to hear about people. And I genuinely enjoy it. It's not feigned at all. I do feel connected to people and I think people really feel connected to me. And here's Caitlin's experience. And I feel like I'm very like easygoing. Like generally I, I get along with like everybody. And I think that is kind of where that too comes out. Like I can be friendly and, and all of those things. And, um, but yeah, definitely. I think when it doesn't happen naturally, that's kind of where it's a red flag. Like, oh, like, why aren't you responding well to my warmth? Or why aren't you, why aren't you taking this bait that I'm hanging out there for? Like, Here's how Dean experiences this strategy at work. You know, another coping strategy that I think that I use to provide security and safety is working with a team. I love working with people. I love feeling like I'm a part of a thing. The worst working environment for me is one where I feel 
isolated, like I'm the only person working on a particular project. Because I think obviously there's some safety that I find in the the, the consensus of decision making. Uh, I, I invite a lot of people to speak into the, the the things before we move forward. And there's just that that teamness really helps provide some stability for me and offset some of the uh, the risk and uh, fear. And here's how James views his investment in his friendships. Uh, so something I did get from uh, my dad was uh, the ability to fix things and work on things and do things with my hands. And that plays itself out in my peer relationships, in my my loyalty. If I hear that you have a project going on in your house, my first instinct is to make sure I clear my calendar to be there to bring my bag of tools, my superpower of looking into the future and thinking what pitfalls could happen as we're fixing this thing or, or creating this thing. And I grab two five-gallon buckets full of tools and all the things that we could possibly need. And I show up at your house and we're there for a couple of hours fixing and making and, and getting things right. The primary defense mechanism of the six is projection. Nancy McWilliams states, projection is a process whereby what is inside is misunderstood as coming from the outside. It's as if the fears that play out inside the head are literally projecting a movie of the future and one in which the possible outcomes are the very worst. Here's how Dean describes this. I catastrophize every possible, a, a, a stern look or an awkward interaction or something. I I, it's easy for me to project onto that relationship some kind of possible strain and to feel insecure about where I stand with that person and to wonder, oh man, have I done something that, you know, is that person uncomfortable or frustrated with me in some way? It's not uncommon for me to be reaching out with little kind of passive attempts at, you know, conversation or uh, small attempts at warmth. To, to kind of test the waters even maybe and be like, are we, are we okay? Listen to how James experiences this as a parent. Yes. <laughs> I think the time when that happens for me with, with my kids specifically is when I have a situation going and I get concerned that whatever way they're acting out or behaving is some big indicator for who they're going to be for the rest of their life. And so I suddenly start ascribing these long-term outcomes to whatever in the moment, you know, she's just hungry. She literally just got out of bed and she's hungry. And she's telling me that with all of her six-year-old emotion, the 30 seconds after she's come out of her room and I am hearing that and have the box of cereal in my hand ready to pour it. But I'm also hearing like this kid has no idea how to behave as a human being and make her way in the world and ask for what she wants without screaming it. The caution of the six can create a greater chance for long-term success. It just might look different. Here's Dean again. Yeah, I, I I didn't try out much. My attempts were few. And I remember I went out for the basketball team in, in like the ninth grade. I wasn't great, but even on the basketball team, I remember at the end of the season, the coach, we had a little pizza party and the coach passed out these stat sheets from, from the whole season. And my stat was at the very top because I had only taken two shots 
the whole season. And I had made them both, but I had I was always passing the ball. I and so to much much of the chagrin of the other players on the team, they couldn't believe that. I somehow shot a hundred percent on the season, but it was only two shots, you know? And so I was very reluctant to put myself out there. Uh, I was much more comfortable passing the ball. And here's Caitlin again. Um, I think a couple of years ago, I really struggled with just like um, public speaking too, uh, which is funny because I was a teacher for a while, but I struggled with that. And that would definitely make me anxious. Like I would know months in advance, like, hey, like at this camp, you're going to be doing this session with whoever. And man, it would be like, I would have to put it at the back of my mind and not let myself think about it until we got to a couple weeks ahead to where it's like, okay, now I need to prep. But I really had to set boundaries and be cautious because it I could just spiral and literally like make myself sick. That's a much different and larger setting than what I had been used to. And I was able to do that a couple different times. And so it's just like, I think once you gain the confidence of doing it once and having that victory, then it's like, okay, like I've done this before. Like you kind of, I kind of have to be my own hype person and like remind myself like, okay, yes, I felt this way last time, but that feeling didn't last forever. With self-awareness, we can change our actions. Here's a couple strategies that Dean uses. I think one of the key ways that I deal with uncertainty in my life is that I over-organize my life. I structure my life. I have pretty concrete routines. So I'm a runner and I... But what I what I prefer to do, I'm not the kind of runner that that when I begin my run, I think, you know what? I think I'm gonna run this way today. And I'll and I'll see where I go and I'll and I'll turn when I feel when I see something that I wanna run towards. No, no, no. My preferred routine is that I wanna run the same route every single time. And uh, but but that applies to every aspect of my life. I um, I kind of overstructure my life. People tell me that I am one of the most kind of goal oriented people that they know, and I think it's because I want to build these routines and these this kind of trajectory for my life because. The structure in my life doesn't provide me a kind of daily safety. For me, it's more a kind of bigger existential safety. If I don't kind of set myself on a course in life that is built with these predictable systems and routines, that allows me to kind of, in some way, control my trajectory and the type of person that I'm becoming. And that is what is probably what's at the heart of some of my insecurity anyway, is where am I headed? What kind of person am I becoming? That's, there's some, maybe some fear and insecurity around that. And so one way to cope with that and minimize that dynamic and that uncertainty is to make a plan for who I want to be Courage does not look like we classically think of courage. Courage for me requires 
that I keep walking forward, that I keep putting one foot in front of the next. For me, that is courage. I do try to discipline myself to say yes, because I know that my default tendency is to say no or not yet. Uh, So I try to be conscious, especially in areas of insecurity. I try to default to yes, rather than no or not yet. Self-preservation sixes are very realistic. They aren't prone to overconfidence, which can be a very good thing. Courage is acting in light of the uncertainty. We all experience fear. We all can feel doubt and uncertainty. The work for a type six is to calm the mind and trust that everything will be okay. It's like the trapeze artist who flies through the air with the greatest of ease. Underneath her is a safety net. Here's what James realized after the morning cereal incident. Feel that flood rising and that tension, and I, you know, uh, rather than uh, uh, slow it down, I can I can really get uh, into the moment. And and honestly, for me there, that that holding it loosely, I can think back to the way her kindergarten teacher acts and reacts. It's like that slow, warm, and like draw myself back into that, like down on her level and speaking, you know, and that's the, that's my call back to like, okay, like I can treat her like a sweet little six-year-old that she is and she's not some fully formed 26-year-old screaming at somebody for cereal 30 seconds after waking up. This is okay. This is all right. And here's Dean again. Just in, in terms of thinking about like my kind of fundamental posture of fear, I think a word that has really resonated with me a lot is peace. And, but I don't mean it in terms of peace between people primarily, although I do crave that also. The most heartfelt prayers that I pray are for a kind of inner peace, a kind of settledness in my spirit. Our tradition has a lot of written prayers. My favorite ones in the prayer book are prayers around this idea of deep peace and asking God for that, some sense of that settled inner person and inner dialogue and inner mind, yes, but but inner, in my heart, feeling settled peace. One of the things that came to my mind is, is how I've noticed that longing for for peace in the quietness of my time with God and in my in the quietness of my spirit that's a very I, I crave that kind of peace in my tradition there's a thing called the peace that passes understanding and I believe that even though we're feeling uncertainty we each have this chance to trust to act to know that everything's going to be all right that's it for this episode of the story enneagram podcast thanks for listening if you or someone you know is a six who feels tossed about by the wind and the waves you've come to the right place wouldn't it be great to know that uncertainty can actually be a gift that gives wonderful opportunities to be courageous visit my website at storyenneagram.com. 
I offer Enneagram team building experiences and training from businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. Story.